Welcome to Mind Tricks Radio, where we'll explore contemporary topics in psychology through interviewing creative and innovative thinkers in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan. Thanks for tuning in. We're here today with Dr. Seifan Weinberg, a clinical psychologist in Israel. Dr. Weinberg is the deputy director of the clinical unit at Natal, an apolitical nonprofit organization that specializes in the field of war and terror-related trauma. He treats veterans and civilians who suffer from trauma and PTSD related to war and conflict in Israel. Dr. Weinberg received his academic degrees from Bar Ilan University in Ramat Gan, near Tel Aviv. He lives in the settlement of Matan with his wife Hadar and four children. Seifan, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Uh, hi, Aaron. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank you. I know it's late in Israel for you. You're probably getting ready to go to sleep soon. We're just waking up in Hawaii. So thank you for hanging in there after your long day and speaking with me. Uh, thank you and good morning. Thank you. So we're going to be talking today a bit about your work as a psychologist in Israel. And I'm really interested to hear about your life as a psychologist and the type of clinical work that you're up to. Um, we're going to be talking a bit about your work with trauma, PTSD, and some of that around conflict in Israel that you experience. So first of all, uh, could tell us a little bit about you and where you live and what it's like in Israel for you. Uh, well, you know, I don't know anything else because I was born here and raised here and everything. So I can tell you about my perspective. Uh, I was born in Israel in a city called Rehovot. Uh, in Israel, everybody has to do mandatory service in the army. So by the age of 18, I joined the Israeli Air Force. I started at the Flight Academy. When I finished my mandatory service as an officer at around 1999, I started my uh, university study. I did first degree, uh, a BA uh, on psychology, and then a second degree MA on clinical psychology. And when I finished my second degree, I did two things at the same time. I got back to the army. I um, rejoined uh, professional service as a psychologist. And at the same time, I started my PhD degree. The, the idea of joining back the army was in order to do my apprenticeship as a clinical psychologist. I did three positions in the Israeli Air Force. The last one was a psychologist of a special operation force squadron called Shaldag. I've been a psychologist for this squadron for about seven years. I retired from the Israeli Air Force at the end of 2017. I joined Natal is a non-governmental uh, organization, non-profit and non-governmental organization as a deputy director of the clinical unit at Natal. Remind me, what does Natal stand for? That's N-A-T-A-L, right? Yeah, it's, it's a direct translation to the Hebrew meaning of it, which stands for National Trauma Treating Casualties, if you'd like. Got it. And all along, I live now in a settlement at the center of Israel, in a community settlement called Matan, M-A-T-A-N. It's a small settlement, not far from uh, Tel Aviv. Tell us a little bit about what your home is like. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a small cottage with a backyard, four kids, a very uh, active dog, <laughs> hyperactive dog. 
the box all along. Right, right. Typical family is, is the community. Yeah. Like when you look out your door, do you see what desert or mountains? Like what, what's it like <laughs> in the, that area there? No, there is desert in Israel, but it's more the southern part of Israel. I live in the center and very normal uh, green and, uh, you know, colorful environment, a bit rural-like. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. From my balcony, you can see it's a high settlement, a bit above ground, mm-hmm. like 100 meters above sea level. And you can see all the center of Israel at night. It's a very nice scenery. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, you can see up to Tel Aviv, and it's very nice. During the last conflict, Guardian of Walls, that ended a couple of weeks ago, the scenery was a great view of uh, how Iron Dome intercepts uh, rockets from uh, Gaza Strip and wow. to the center of Israel. And you can see how lights shooting to the sky. It's like, uh, you know, Star Wars scenery. Wow. No, I, it's, it's very hard to imagine that, Seifan. It is. Yeah. It's very hard to imagine. Like, living in Israel is a very unique experience. If you're not used to it, it takes time to adjust. Well, we'll definitely get into more of that later. I want to hear more about the experiences of people living in that environment and having those kinds of experiences. Uh, before we get there, though, I'm interested how you personally got interested in working with trauma, PTSD, and Natal as an organization. What drew you to that? Well, I think that uh, the answer for that goes to earlier uh, stages and my decision to be a psychologist to begin with. Uh, I mentioned my uh, service as a loadmaster and as an officer. I took a year leave from the job and uh, did some traveling around the world, visited the Far East, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, all those areas, and did another six months in New Zealand and Australia as a backpacker. And during that year, that question of what I want to do when I get bigger and older was a question that accompanied me all along those years. Since I felt that I, I'm good with the connecting to people and psychology was al- always an interest for me, I figured that maybe being a clinical psychologist could be interesting. Little did I know about the job when I imagined it. During my study, I understood that it's completely different from what I thought. You know, I imagined it like as a being a mental detective trying to figure out human issues and found out that it's more of a patient position, the listening and hearing and elaborating. And that's okay. I, I came back to Israel and started my academy study. Since I was an officer at the, in the, at the Israeli Air Force uh, before, joining back Israeli Air Force was a very handy and uh, a good solution for the apprenticeship. And I think that uh, trauma, post-trauma, handling wars and uh, armed conflicts in Israel is, is something that is here all along and probably will be here for uh, years to come. So being a psychologist, at the military um, active units uh, was a very good ground to sharpen your abilities on uh, preparing soldiers and operators to intense situations and doing uh, debriefing and accompanying them when they return from intense situations, battles and uh, operations. Uh, so my experience and you know contact with those areas were quite vast. 
And when I uh, retired from the army, joining Natal was also a, like a very natural step to treat post-trauma. Tell us about Natal, Seifan. What, tell us a little bit more about that organization and who is served there and what kind of work you do there. Well, Natal is, a, as I mentioned, is a non-profit and non-governmental organization. It was established about 23 years ago by the late Dr. Yossi Adir and uh, Judith Rekanati, which is the major uh, founder and supporter of the organization up until uh, today. And the, the agenda is to treat veterans that were exposed to military situations and suffer from uh, post-trauma or to civilians that were exposed to terror acts that suffer from post-trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, Natal provides a unique uh, multidisciplinary trauma center, treating all civilians of Israel that are exposed to uh, traumatically, uh, potentially uh, intensive uh, situation. Well, Natal deals with all sorts of other things, like leading away in, a, in the field of trauma and advanced resilience uh, center, we have a preventing center that teaches and trains other health services in how to treat trauma. We operate in the community in order to provide emergency interventions, as I mentioned before, and as well to train community to cope with the preventing trauma. We have a trauma research center. Sounds like really quite a lot of services that you provide at Natal. And it sounds like it's both veterans who have been in the military and are dealing with PTSD and trauma and issues around that, and also civilians. And I was interested to see on the website, it sounds like it's an apolitical organization. So I imagine um, you see patients potentially of different ethnic and religious backgrounds. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. We offer services in Hebrew, in English, in Arabic, in Russian, more languages, and treat direct and indirect victims of trauma. Me, myself, I don't treat Israeli Arabs because I don't speak Arabic, but uh, we have other uh, therapists that do speak Arabic, and we direct patients that suffer from uh, trauma that are Israeli Arabics, and uh, they get treatment as well. Uh, unfortunately, they, they don't address us to our open line so much because of cultural uh, differences, I think. And it's not that oftenly uh, provided to them. By their nature, they don't do depend on services like that. But if we do locate or hear about Israeli Arab civilians that are in need, we do address them to our uh, therapists that can help them either mm-hmm. by uh, phone calls or uh, face-to-face. Tell you that I'm satisfied by the help that we can provide to them. Well, I'm not. I wish they could call more and ask for more help so that we can provide more. The vast majority of civilians that are treated in, in Atal are Israeli Jews. It sounds like you face some of the challenges that, that we face in the U.S., often trying to ways to do outreach to different groups who may not always reach out for help or might be suspicious of the help. It's It's always a challenge to try to get people to feel safe and included in that. And so I'm sure that you encounter that in the work there with the outreach and attempting that. We try to uh, make our services more approachable to the Arab sector. We ensure that uh, we have materials that are translated uh, to every language, including Arabic and Arabic speakers and uh, 
After the last uh, round of conflict, Guardian of the Walls, we had also uh, internal riots in Israel, in mixed cities between Jews and Arabics. Because of that, we recruited more and more uh, Arabic-speaking therapists in order to respond to requests that already reached Natal. But as I said uh, earlier, I think can do better in that and uh, mm-hmm. promote our services more. It sounds like a really tough situation and very challenging. What are some of the typical kinds of traumatic experiences and traumatic events when people are reaching out that they want to talk about and work on? I think that uh, roughly I can divide it to three uh, major topics. Uh, one is veterans that experienced uh, intensive uh, battle situations. We have uh, patients from uh, 1973, Yom Kippur War, that are still being treated in Natal. Mm. Very little of them because the awareness and their uh, compliance and willing to be treated is uh, still very low up until now. But we have more and more uh, soldiers that call and ask for help from uh, latest wars like Second Lebanon War, uh, protective edge that was in um, 2014 in Gaza, which are more young and more uh, knowledgeable and, and have more uh, legitimacy in front of them, themselves to address and ask for help. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's one topic of trauma that we deal. The other one is, as I mentioned before, civilians that were exposed to traumatic civilian events like terror acts. I think that the majority of them they were exposed to uh, suicide bombers in Tel Aviv or in Jerusalem, in public areas that are still addressing us, even if the events were up to 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, because of the latest riots that were in mixed cities, we also have both uh, Arab and Jews, Israelis that dress for help. We had riots and lynch situations, which were very hard. And uh, the third conflict areas near Gaza Street are well known to suffer uh, rockets and bombards situation from Gaza years and years up until today. And we treat a lot of children from those uh, cities and areas that are more uh, close to Gaza Strip. In the last, last round, we had more and more calls from the center of Israel because the center was bombarded as well by rockets. Mm-hmm. So we had more and more calls from Tel Aviv and all sorts of central cities in Israel because it was a bit new to them mm-hmm. to run to shelters every other night. When these folks are contacting you, what are they typically complaining about? Like what, what is their chief complaints that they present with? Are they typical PTSD symptoms or like, what do they say when they reach out? Some of them are calling during an acute stress reaction. Mm-hmm. They are now having symptoms of panic attack because they have to run to the shelter and they hear the alarm, uh, the sirens all over, and they don't know how to react. Some of the calls describe asking how to deal with children, parents that are calling, mm-hmm. asking how to treat the children that are afraid uh, to go to sleep or that uh, started to wet their beds again. During the last round, it was like 15 times more calls a day than usually. And most of the calls were uh, from the center. If usually the calls uh, to the open line are from the south uh, district of Israel, this time the change was uh, because of uh, more of the calls from Tel Aviv and the surrounding cities. 
So you, it sounds like you get a lot of calls and contacts with people who are in acute stress and crisis because of something that's going on immediately. And that makes a lot of sense. And there's also, you mentioned people who are exposed to kind of like prolonged trauma with a regular experience of dealing with rockets and conflict. Do those types of people tend to call you or how do they get into your practice? Uh, there are two stages of to being treated uh, in psychotherapy or other methods. First stage is calling the open line, which is a different unit inside Natal. We have volunteers there that are uh, available in conflicts. It's like an emergency line, 24 hours a day, and they can call each and every time and try to express their stresses and get help from the volunteers. If the volunteer on the open line has the impression that caller could use psychotherapy, and he does like an intake. Then we do an internal discussion and accept him to the clinical unit. And at the clinical unit, we addresses them to therapists uh, near to where they live. Some calls are by people that their symptoms and the post-trauma is too severe to be addressed to a private practice. Uh, so we try to find service and the help for them in the community. So tell us a little bit about your approach to treating your patients with PTSD and trauma. What kind of techniques and methods do you use to work with them? Well, therapists in, in the clinical unit can use a, a great uh, wide variety of techniques to treat post-trauma. Mostly it's according to the language, let's say, that the specific patient is talking in expressing his symptoms. It could be a prolonged exposure. It could be... A, somatic experiencing, uh, it could be CBT, and it could be plain uh, dynamic uh, psychotherapy that we can use. A therapist can address and, you know, pull the, the tool that uh, they believe is more adequate for the specific patient. I'm also a licensed hypnosis. How, how do you say? Hypnotherapist. Hypnotherapist. Thank you. If I find it uh, relevant and useful, uh, I might use techniques from that area. We also have therapists that use movement therapy or art and the drawing methods to express uh, stress and uh, treat PTSD patients. We have a, a new project on which we assign service dogs to PTSD patients. Oh, wow. And it's, it's a game changer for them. They say that it changes their life completely. Because the service dogs are trained to ground the patient mm -hmm. if he has a panic attack, to wake him up during his sleep if he has a nightmare, to be a barrier between him and other population if he's feeling stressed outside the, on the street. And mainly having a service dog forces the patient into a regular routine of the mm -hmm. day. He has to take the dog for a walk, sure. he has to feed him, he has to take care of him and and the dog is, you know, gives him positive attention and love. Sure. It's like a family member. One thing I'd like to ask you that I'm very curious about. So you're providing therapeutic services to people with trauma and PTSD, but many times they're still going back out into the community and the triggers are still there. There's still a threat of rocket attacks. There's still conflict in Israel. So... Unlike a lot of situations with therapists, like with a lot of the work I do, the traumas in the past, and really there's not a lot of possibility that that trauma is going to reoccur, right? It was an event that happened in the past. 
It's in the past. It's an easier way to deal with it. How do you handle the situations where people are still really living in a country and a community where those potential traumas are present again? It's a very good question. And every time there is a conflict and another round of armed conflict, we have patients that return to us Mm -hmm. because it evokes again all the trauma and the triggers are flashing and everything is going on uh, recurrently again and again. So it's very difficult. Some of the patients are chronic. We do what we can with them, try to teach them and uh, help them acquire stress regulation techniques and how to address help if they feel uh, being overwhelmed by triggers around them. Uh, it's very difficult, but I think that there are two factors that may be, sadly, making it more uh, endurable. One is that it's not new to no one. You are mm. born to this situation. You hear about post-trauma all around you, and you know, uh, you learn about Israel's war, and you know that every four to six to seven years, there's a, there's a war or a conflict. The last few years is a bit different because uh, the conflicts are, uh, are a bit different. It's not like a full-scale war like it was uh, in the early years. It's a bit different. But it's there. It's, it's always there. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, another factor is the growing awareness of uh, post-trauma because of its being more uh, out there on the media and, uh, you know, in... TV series and uh, more and more artists are uh, producing songs about it. So it's more around and it's becoming more and more uh, legit to address and seek for help if you have it. So I think it's a helpful uh, situation. For sure. Quite around when when COVID hit Israel, uh, there was a very hard impacting uh, TV series in Israel. I think that the translation to English is uh, Valley of Tears. Uh, it was sold to Netflix, I think, uh, recently. And the TV series was very real, very realistic and very hard and uh, evoked a lot of post-traumatic persons that called us all along with COVID and all the other things yeah. that happened in Israel. Sure. We had a lot of uh, calls and uh, that's how it's like to live in Israel. Yeah, I see. So on the one hand, people kind of just get used to like, this is life in Israel. So it's expected and these things come up from time to time. And there's also a bigger awareness of PTSD. Like, I don't know, this might be kind of a, a kind of a ridiculous question to ask, but I mean, would you say that the population of Israel are, it's a traumatized population? Like are people walking around with a certain level of like, hey, you could get killed at any moment by a, by a rocket or a, a suicide bomber. Like I'm just imagining being kind of terrifying, not knowing if that could happen at any moment. It's mandatory that in each and every house that you build in Israel, you have a shelter. Otherwise, you won't have permits to build the house. So I each see. and every house in Israel has a safe room, a more uh, you know, concreted uh, windows, uh, iron windows, and a safe door. That uh, when you hear an alarm, you know you need to get to, to get to the room as quickly as possible. During the last conflict. I found myself with my small kids and my wife and family running to that uh, room in our house. It's mandatory in each and every house in Israel. So that's one example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another example is that, uh, and, you know, 
most of the Israeli citizens have this application in their cell phones that alerts them according to where they are that they need to get to a safe place because uh, alarm was triggered. And if you are not around the siren that can uh, alert you, you have it on your cell phone and it alarms you to take cover now. That's how it's like uh, in uh, normal life. But I think that most of the population, since we're used to it, are, uh, you know, uses uh, basic psychological mechanisms to push it aside, not deal with it, reorganize if there's a conflict. Okay, now we shift from a normal situation to a, a conflict situation. You have to calculate your steps, see where you are, see where the children are, and uh, you know it will pass. It will take few days or a few weeks and when it will pass very quickly the next day you return to normal uh, standard life and you know that you can hear on the news that uh, maybe tomorrow uh, another round or another conflict will occur and so you switch again to uh, you know war mode to deal with it well it sounds really really scary to me but I imagine it sounds like people have just utilize whatever defense mechanisms that they need to to be able to live and survive emotionally and psychologically as best they can. And then, of course, there's services like the services you provide to help people who are really struggling with it. True. Um, well, other people, civilians in Israel that are experiencing uh, post-trauma sometimes find it more helpful to leave Israel and live abroad. Mm-hmm immigrate to the US or to Europe, exactly because things you mentioned earlier, because even being in an Israeli street might be a trigger for them. You know, if a motorcycle passes by with full gas and it sounds like a beginning of a siren, they might, you know, fall down to the ground, cover their heads and prepare for the boom. And it's intolerable for them. So they decide to migrate and and live elsewhere. I have a patient uh, that I treat via Zoom, who lives in the U.S., who is a veteran uh, who has PTSD, and he can't live in Israel. He's a patient at Natal, and and I treat him, uh, you know, across the ocean. Does he still experience PTSD symptoms in the U.S.? Like, let's say there were sirens or helicopters or, I don't know, we don't really have rockets, but sounds that would remind him of it. Are those triggers for him? No, he chose to uh, live in a farm outside, highly civilian area, so he doesn't, he's, he's not exposed to triggers like that. He started the treatment because he had an anxiety attack. Now he's quite fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that the treatment and the exposure and, you know, being able to talk about it and to reorganize his uh, memories and thoughts and feelings is very helpful for him. So he's okay now. Sure. Well, I'm wondering as a psychologist, How do you help your patients just sort of make sense of what's going on in Israel and reframe things? Because there are realities of what's happening that are really scary and disturbing, regardless of what one's political beliefs are. One usually needs to find a way of making sense of what's going on around them to find some meaning and understanding. So how do you do that with your patients? First of all, um, I think that the roots for that are at the Jewish narrative. I think that the Jewish narrative to begin with, that's my personal opinion, is a post-traumatic stress narrative. 
the Jewish people is always was always to begin with was under uh, you know existential threat. Sure. Starting with the Holocaust. Yeah. Up until today, when you have Iranian uh, declarations calling to extinct the Zionist entity, and that's on one hand, and on the other hand, developing nuclear weapons. So. It's around us, and uh, I think that the, the Jewish narrative is a well-established yeah. PTSD narrative. We live under the knowing that uh, we are a very small country surrounded by enemies, that each and every time trying to annihilate us, it's embedded in our culture. You know, on uh, Passover, when we read the tales, when, we, when the Jewish people were uh, liberated from Egypt, one of the most uh, repeating sentence is that in each and every generation, there is a nation that uh, uprises to eliminate us. And we need to be thankful each and every year that we are in Israel and we live here as free people and, and uh, we need to celebrate our freedom. So to begin with, the Jewish narrative is, uh, is dealing with uh, annihilation. Okay? Yeah. As, as the dramatic as it sounds, when I say it in Hebrew, it's, it's so normal to me. But when I say it in English, it sounds very harsh. Uh, to me, it doesn't sound harsh or dramatic. I mean, what you're saying is basically there's a religious and cultural tradition that understands that there is a aspect of suffering and survival to life and that the Jews have experienced that for thousands of years. And I guess yeah. putting that narrative into context and what's happening in the present contemporary day is helpful for people. It is uh, because it's not out of the blue. We have rockets falling here in, in our cities. And it's one thing to hear about it in the radio or seeing it on television and, you know, knowing that in Tel Aviv, rockets fell down and uh, one or two or several uh, people were killed. It's a different thing when it happens to you. Mm-hmm. It's a different thing when, uh, when you walk in a central city in Israel and suddenly there's an alarm and you take cover and then a building collapses next to you and now all your psychological defenses mechanisms are not useful. Mm-hmm. They, they fall down with the building. Mm-hmm. And that's a different kind of shelter, usually a, a different kind of treatment. Usually... It's a treatment with acute stress reaction and the protocols and how to use it are very well known nearly to every psychologist in Israel, especially if he were a psychologist in the army. So you know how to pull the tools and how to uh, reorganize people that are experiencing a panic attack and Mm -hmm. treat them. It's like a a common practice to psychologists as well. What would be the key components of that? It's grounding, first Mm -hmm. of all, orientation, aiming the thoughts to cognitive tasks and not Mm -hmm. emotional tasks, assigning simple uh, tasks to do, go there, bring me that, count the people, collect cellulars uh, or numbers so, so we can call and, you know, slowly and pacing and leading reactivating and uh, gaining a sense of control and awareness to those who are suffering from uh, acute stress reaction. So similar question, just backing up a little bit, and this might be a little harder for you because I know you don't work so much with Arab patients, but this idea of putting things into perspective, why are these things happening? How do I find some kind of meaning and put this into perspective? 
especially what you said that recently there's conflict within Israel between Arabs and Jews and in, in communities. How do people put those things in perspective and be able to deal with it? Well, I'm, I'm not well uh, practiced in that, but it is very difficult. It is very difficult because, you know, when a rocket is fired from Gaza and hits an Arabic family near uh, a city in, in Israel, there's no way to explain it. It fell from the sky on them. They're not part of the conflict. Maybe otherwise, yeah. there's no way to... Uh, attach any meaning to that. Most of the population in the, in the Arab sector are uh, more religious, so it might be more logic to them to address it to you know God's will, mm -hmm. like um, external locus of control. They have nothing to do with it. it comes from the sky, so maybe that helps a bit. It sounds, it sounds like a very, very difficult situation. Gosh, I can't even imagine. Do you have any sense of how people in Israel maintain a sense of shared humanity and common goals with so much divisiveness going on and so much conflict? Like, how do people feel like, hey, we're part of a world community here and we're sharing this with everybody else? Great question. A very hard question. Uh, I think that uh, I can divide my answer into what was usually was in Israel in the former rounds of conflict and how I experienced the last one. I think that uh, in previous rounds, it was a bit surprising each and every time, surprisingly to begin with again and again, that during conflict, all disputes and dividedness and everything are, are vanishing, are disappearing. The whole nation is uh, suddenly united against a very well-formed and known enemy. And suddenly uh, there's a saying, all Israel are brothers and mm -hmm. sisters. Everyone is, uh, you know, entering under the stretcher, carrying uh, all the weight and everything. And then... Uh, when the conflict is over, <laughs> magically everybody returns to their uh, political uh, diversities and camps and everything. Yeah. Nothing like a nice war to unite us. Sure. But the last round was different as far as I grasped it. It didn't unite us. The last conflict was different because it felt like it's more um, it widened all the cracks and the uh, disputes you know, in different camps in Israel, unfortunately. Uh, without uh, getting too much into politics, I think it's related to mm -hmm. very different issues in the Israeli politics. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, uh, social media is a very uh, hard amplifier of all sorts of different sounds. And uh, sometimes even a very local and small dispute might be very largely magnified sure. because of social media uh, speakers. It's a very powerful way of swaying opinions, social media. Yeah. But I think that altogether, the majority of uh, the population in Israel are, uh, are quite optimistic and uh, lively and uh, vivid people try to focus on uh, achievements and 
successes that the Israeli, Israeli nation has, like beating COVID-19 mm-hmm. in Israel. Israel is a leading country in the world in putting all that epidemic behind us. So, you know, we're proud and it's a thing that uh, unites us. Maybe um, trying to uh, pull some encouragement on uh, peace agreements uh, that we managed to establish. Like the last one was, was with the United Arab Emirates. People were flying to Dubai the last weeks, which is something that no one would imagine a year or two years ago. Even though the relationship with Dubai were quite good even before. I have several friends that visited there. But that's still very encouraging. I mean, any connections that Israel is able to make with neighboring countries, I guess, gives reason to feel optimistic. The interconnectedness is always important for people to feel like they have relations with other people. And you had mentioned earlier that an important year for you was when you went traveling in Southeast Asia. And I just really feel like to connect with other people around the world of different cultures and backgrounds is always important to feel like we're uh, moving forward and connecting with people rather than being divided. I think that the hope for peace is a thing that even though as a child you grow up on uh, you know stories of uh, wars and everything, one of the most uh, important thing that you learn as a child is war on peace is to be ever being determined to achieve peace uh, with all surrounding uh, countries mm-hmm. well we have a well-established peace with egypt that was a very fierce uh, enemy state yeah a lot of hard wars were with egypt uh, jordan which is a very warm and uh, last longing peace uh, as well and uh, it's a fight for peace that will never end and uh, each and every child in Israel is being raised on that notion that this is what we aim to all along all the time. It's great to hear that there is a general feeling of hope and optimism that things are possible to be better in the region and that that's what people are striving for. Stefan, mm-hmm. any last thoughts that you would like to mention as a psychologist about this topic that you want us to know, want the world to know about the work you do and about the situations you encounter? Well, I know I, I reflect on what we said here, and uh, we addressed some very hard uh, and discouraging issues. It's natural to discuss it because what I do is is uh, treat PTSD, and PTSD is not a happy subject. Right. But I do believe that uh, living in Israel and uh, being more than just veterans uh, suffering from PTSD here, uh, Israel uh, is a very prospering, optimistic, high-tech country, startup nation that, you know, brings a lot of knowledge and wisdom and other very good, positive developments to Israel and to the world. I would very much like other countries to uh, grasp Israel as a, as a positive, prospering uh, nation and not only a war conflict zone. 
Right. I think that's really important to keep that in mind that Israel is a very vibrant country and community and has a whole lot to offer the rest of the world. I really look forward to coming and visiting someday. Whoa. It's been on the top of my list of things that I want to do. And I know my son often talks about wanting to visit Israel. And so hopefully we'll be able to experience it firsthand. I'd be, I'd be thrilled to host you if you come, you know, show you how beautiful the country is and how, uh, how happy and positive people they live here yeah and would sure like to visit you in return in hawaii sure you're welcome anytime and i know that you are a triathlete and so that iron man yeah. triathlon in kona hawaii is just waiting for you wow it's a dream <laughs> <laughs> all right uh seifan yeah. uh thank you so much for speaking with me today i know it's late for you it's been a pleasure having you on the show shalom shaloha thank you very much shaloha <laughs> Thank you for listening to Mind Tricks Radio. I hope you have enjoyed the program. For more information about Mind Tricks, you can go to my website, www.waikikihealth.com. Be sure to subscribe to Mind Tricks on your preferred podcasting host to be notified of new episodes of Mind Tricks. Please take some time to give Mind Tricks a good rating and review wherever you are listening. It really helps get the word out to new listeners. And please like and share Mind Tricks posts on Twitter and Facebook by following your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan.